0: This episode of Cybercast is brought to you by Zscaler. Concerned about your agency's cybersecurity defenses against cyber threats? Trust in Zero Trust with Zscaler. Our security model assumes all users, devices, and applications are untrusted and only permits access on a need to know basis. As agencies modernize, the secure adoption of cloud services is critical. With over 35 global certifications, including DoD Impact Level 5, FedRAMP moderate and high, and state ramp authorizations, Zscaler is the world's most accredited security cloud. Trust in Zero Trust with Zscaler. To learn more, visit zscaler.com federal. Welcome to CyberCast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm Alexander Bolova. Production lead at GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is staff writer researcher Anastasia Obis. Hi, Anastasia. Hey, Alex. You had the opportunity to chat with Patricia Solar, section chief for JCDC Partnerships International at CISA. How'd it go?
1: It went great. She has a really interesting career. She actually, prior to joining the government, was at Georgetown University. Which is my alma mater, but she was teaching various language courses for 15 years. So now, like you mentioned, she's the section chief for JCDC International. And keep on listening, she'll talk about what that entails.
0: It's so fascinating that Patricia started off teaching at Georgetown. We've had various professors on the podcast and Obviously, we've had many, 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 many uh, leaders in federal government, but I don't think that we've seen that move before. That's really exciting.
1: Yeah, and 15 years. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. So information sharing is key to CISA's mission, and I have no doubt that that came up in your conversation. Am I right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, CISA, we all know they're a very new agency. There is a ton of information. And so they need to create a lot of mechanisms by which they're able to process that information, then respond to it and share it right, as the volume keeps increasing, they work through so many challenges of how to make it scalable. Uh, they're looking at some emerging technologies, which we also touch on. But it's just interesting to hear her perspective on the information sharing since her team works so closely with international partners.
0: So taking it back a few steps, JCDC, there's a lot of acronyms in the federal government. And this is one of the few that I have no idea what it stands for. Can you uh, <laughs> tell me?
1: So JCDC, it's Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative. And they work on a number of initiatives. But it's basically their entire goal is to unify cyber defenders from organizations all over the world. And they basically gather information, analyze it and share with the international community.
0: So what I'm hearing is that we have a bunch of cyber Avengers, like this is the superhero team of a cybersecurity defense
1: pretty much and also back in february we actually talked about their planning agenda so sis is all about planning and in february they released their 2023 planning agenda it included a lot of different efforts including understanding and mitigating risks posed by open source software in industrial control systems they are Working on updating the National Cyber Incident Response Plan, so things like that. And you can go back to the episode where we discussed the planning agenda. And we are touching on it with Patricia as well.
0: Awesome. Well, with all of that in mind, let's take a listen to your conversation.
1: Patricia, thank you so much for joining me today. So, you have a really interesting career trajectory. Could you talk a little about your time before you joined CISA and tell us about your current role? Sure. And thank
2: you for having me. It is a very interesting trajectory indeed, and not one I could have necessarily planned out or would say is repeatable for other people. But before coming to CISA, and I started in about March of uh, 2021. I was at the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, working in IT governance. So I'm very familiar with IT systems and how to build them. In the case of uh, HUD, it is an older agency. And so a lot of the software issues that I was dealing with at the time had to do with more legacy systems. And... Before that, I worked with forensic auditors. That was actually my first job at HUD. But it's more so the idea that given my academic background, which is is a further step back, that I learned to do project management. And regardless of the topic, whether it's working with forensic accountants, whether it's working with IT governance, and now here at CISA in my current role, with international partners, there is an underlying theme that ties it all together, which is the management of projects. And I touched on it briefly, but I'll mention it here. Uh, My original career trajectory was academia. So I have a PhD in Latin American literature and cultural studies. I was at Georgetown University for about 15 years teaching a variety of language courses, mostly in Spanish and Portuguese, and really wanted to keep learning. And the federal government offered me that opportunity to do so, to learn new things, I should say. And here at CISA, I continue that path of continuous learning, not just with project management, but also in terms of bringing that international perspective From academic days, tying it to my IT days at the US Department of Housing and Urban Development, therefore marrying IT along with stakeholder engagement at a global level.
1: And could you talk a little more about your responsibilities?
2: Yes, absolutely. I have, I think, one of the coolest jobs in the federal government and CISA in particular. I am the Section Chief for JCDC International. JCDC standing for CISA's Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative. It sits within CISA's Cybersecurity Division. And I have a great team under me that is responsible for working with civilian cyber defense agencies overseas. And we exchange information on a daily basis for the purposes of cyber defense to protect our global cyber ecosystem. And our partners include computer emergency response teams. CISA has the national one, the national CERT would be the acronym, but again, Computer Emergency Response Team. And they are a common function of government globally. And we work with our counterparts, these fellow CERTs, And there's approximately 150 of them that we work with at any given point in time to exchange information, the key word being exchange, so that it's a two-way street. And it's also voluntary, where we are sharing information voluntarily to protect our respective domestic constituencies, but then also provide information to our friends overseas so they can do the, uh, the same on their own.
1: Right and for those who don't know what JCDC is could you actually take us back to its inception which wasn't that long ago um specifically the reason for its establishment and how exactly it's working to increase visibility into the cyber threat landscape around the globe
2: Absolutely I would argue that public private partnership is can be a little bit of a buzzword but here within CISA, we are doing something pretty special, and it goes back to the creation of the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative, which is a public-private secure- cybersecurity collaborative that leverages new authorities that were granted to us, to CISA, by Congress through the 2021 National Defense Authorization Act. And our main function through the JCDC construct is to be able to unite the global cyber community in collective defense of cyberspace. So this includes domestic constituents, including the private sector and our interagency partners. So other agencies within the US government and also international stakeholders. It is the responsibility of my team, as I mentioned earlier, to work bilaterally. So sometimes we'll do one-on-one work with our international counterparts and also with uh, groupings of countries and proactively share information. And I think, you know, one of the key things that unites a lot of our teams is that this is largely voluntary. We use trust-based relationships to encourage the exchange of information across the globe and domestically. And our job is to literally share information. It it does no one any good if it, it sits with a small team on someone's computer. The idea is to constantly share timely and relevant technical information for cyber defense purposes.
1: Right. and. We'll go back to information sharing before we do. I was curious about the JCDC 2023 planning agenda. So that was released back in February. And I was hoping you could give us an update on how the efforts outlined in the agenda are going. I'm especially curious to see how you've been working in the last couple of months to gain a better understanding of the potential risks posed by open source software to the industrial control systems?
2: Thank you so much for that question. I am not intimately familiar with the JCDC planning agenda, but at a very high level, I can Mm -hmm. speak to the fact of why we plan or even have a planning agenda in the first Mm -hmm. place. And also what makes us unique in that sense, again, going back to what does the JCDC do in terms of public private collaboration that makes us unique. And one of those things is planning and likewise putting out publicly these planning agendas. And the importance and uniqueness of this is that yes, we respond to the cyber incidents of the day uh, in that incident response type of fashion and are looking back at things that have already happened or maybe are ongoing right now as we speak. But also we are bringing together all these different stakeholders to proactively plan for the future. And so if you look on our cisa.gov website, we have published our 2023 planning agenda and they include plans like the one you mentioned and mm-hmm. i believe our 2024 agenda is likewise published or should soon be coming but either way those resources are available on cissa.gov uh, when we finalize them
1: right would you be able to speak to the efforts on strengthening protection of civil society organizations who are at a higher risks? of being targeted by foreign state actors?
2: Once again, this is actually a a high-level answer that I'm going to give you, but I am familiar with the project in the sense that we, from an international perspective even, are constantly receiving and likewise sharing information with international governments or from international governments that impact a variety of different types of constituents. So some of them could be the constituents that you're speaking of, but it also could be a variety of other types of victims that mm-hmm. we want to either tell them or get ahead of the curve in letting them know that something is about to happen. So we don't really make that distinction in terms of from my perspective, in terms of what type of threat information we're getting from different stakeholders the idea is that we quickly share it regardless and so we're positioned in an operation sense that we have to move and can move very fast to make sure that whatever we have our hands on that we are sharing it with the right people as soon as possible for them to take action regarding cyber defense.
1: Right, and we could dive deeper into the information sharing processes. So I was wondering, could you share a couple of success stories, how JCDC has improved information sharing between government and international partners and industry? What challenges it's been working on overcoming, but also kind of looking ahead. I'm curious to see What's some of your biggest concerns about information sharing practices?
2: That is a wonderful question because, as I mentioned earlier, it's our job to share information. And yeah. I think we've come a long way in terms of the growth of our agency, in terms of staffing and resources. It's a lot of work and a lot of responsibility in a short period of time. and what that's translating to is also a lot more partners and a lot more partners interested in what we have and therefore the need to create mechanisms by which we are able to process more and share more and respond to more. And what that looks like specifically for my team is that in a relatively short period of time, and we're talking a couple of years of Sista's existence, is that we've gone from talking to maybe a smaller group of countries only by virtue of our staffing and what we could handle to 150 worldwide. And it keeps growing. And so it's important for us, especially using our joint alerts, publications, and other advisories all available again on cisa.gov, to push that information out to our stakeholders. Our stakeholders, within the JCDC also include the federal civilian executive branch agencies. They include critical infrastructure owner and operators. They include state, local, tribal, and territorial entities, and likewise other sectors within the US private industry sector. And we have a very broad touch, but also need to have that uh, relationship maintenance as well. But we want to be sharing information that's timely and relevant with these stakeholders because cybersecurity moves very quickly. Incidents, vulnerabilities, threats move very fast. And so our information sharing around these things likewise has to move very quickly as well. And so the fact that we have such great technical writers that are talking to a lot of different subject matter experts in the private sector, in the US government, overseas, to have the best understanding that they can at the moment about any given topic and then push that information out is I think one of our strengths. And it's also heartening to hear anecdotes that we our products are being translated into multiple languages within those countries so they can share them with their own constituency We want our information to be useful and helpful and likewise receive feedback so we can do continuous improvement on our end. I'd say in terms of information challenges, the volume keeps increasing. So how do we make this scalable and also have the underlying technologies to also process the more technical information, make it more uh, something that we can automate And so there's always room for process improvement on our 2 too, with this volume of information and volume of stakeholders that just will keep growing. And I don't anticipate that changing at any point in the near future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Are you looking to any emerging technologies to help scale and be able to process all that information?
2: We're looking at a couple different proprietary solutions. Yes. And again, great question. I think there's a lot of different options that we're looking at precisely to solve this problem or challenge, I should say. I mean, it's a very good problem to have when you are a relatively new agency with these new authorities and already we have a huge volume of information that we are increasingly pushed. And desire to make useful to as many people as possible, both domestically and internationally. And also do trend analysis, do queries off of it. So I think, and it's not to say that that isn't happening currently, but it's the, well, with more information, what is the art of the possible? And being able to be a part of that conversation right now to determine what the near medium and long-term future look like in terms of this data is very exciting.
1: And could you actually talk a little bit more about the working groups you're involved in? Sure, so at
2: a very high level, the working groups that I'm particularly involved in have to do with different international partner sets that are working on, say it could be critical infrastructure or a particular sector that we are concerned about across a couple different countries that maybe doesn't have a ton of resources historically, or it could be cloud, like it could be a specific type of technology where we wanna come together. And I think that's also the power of the public private partnership model is that we can spin up a working group or spin one down at any given point in time, given the needs of uh, our nation. And we have the resources to do that, but also understanding that these things will necessarily shift over time. I actually think that the, the cloud group actually shifted into emerging technologies working group with a couple countries. Now there's chat about an AI working group and what that would look like in terms of membership. And so that's at the international level in types of different working groups that I am tracking and involved in and relaying that feedback back to different domestic constituents. And so I think, you know, the key takeaway here is that we have vast networks to leverage so that no one hopefully is working in a type of siloed environment that we can work together collectively to try to solve some of these very, very challenging issues.
1: Yeah. And speaking of critical infrastructure, I was hoping to cover that a little bit because it's been a big concern. It is a big concern. And I was wondering if you could maybe talk to some of the emerging tech that's being used to scale up the cyber protection of critical infrastructure. What are some of the challenges there? And maybe what are some of the successful use cases for emerging tech that help protect the critical infrastructure?
2: Thanks for the question. The challenge here is that, and I think this goes for any class of criminal, but threat actors, criminal actors, they're always innovating and if their goal is monetary, right, they're after say a ransom payment, they need to innovate to stay one step ahead of the technology curve, one step ahead of the government, one step ahead of their victims. And as a result, we need to be utilizing these emerging technologies, again, some of them proprietary and existing technologies in really creative and new ways to help beat these guys and in our alerts, publications, and advisories that I mentioned that are available on CISA.gov, and any given member of the public can go to our website and subscribe to them with uh, tailored subscriptions. Maybe some topics interest certain people and others do not. And they're not all necessarily for a technical audience, but we do have mitigation guidance that we put into these advisories so that, say, the owner-operators of critical infrastructure know what to do about a particular vulnerability, say, that we're looking at. If there is a a zero-day vulnerability that is the issue of the day, hopefully we have some guidance and we're typically always working on something that we can put out there so that the appropriate partners can read at an unclassified and publicly available way, what are the tactics, techniques and procedures that we are observing the threat actor use? And also some more technical information that may include indicators of compromise. And I know that these are pretty technical terms, but it's we want the information to be useful, I think is the takeaway for Uh, critical infrastructure owner and operators so that they are able to, whether it's patch the software that's impacted or potentially vulnerable or, or have a better understanding of what the technology stack looks like, but that there is something tangible for them to do to make themselves more secure.
1: Yeah, and what are you most concerned about in this space? What are you seeing that's being on the rise that we should be on the lookout for? So that's a great
2: question. From my vantage point, we look at all threats and vulnerabilities. And I think, and I wouldn't say this is necessarily, you know, CISA's stance on like what the biggest concern is right now, but more my own perspective of different things that we're working on. But the challenge again is that fast pace at which threat actors work. And so the second you share some information about their tactics, techniques, procedures, they adapt. And then we'll change those very same tactics, techniques and procedures and adjust accordingly. So it goes back to that earlier comment I made about the speed at which all of this happens and how threat actors are constantly innovating. And so when we put something out, then they're gonna adjust. But I think that is also just the nature of cybersecurity in general. And it's not something that is, I would say something worse that is going on right now. This is more so our, our current status, our present case in cybersecurity in general. Ransomware offers a big payday, potentially. And so it's something that we are experiencing, not just within the United States, but globally. This is a big pain point for all of us. And so to name that as one example of pain points that we're seeing that impact the American public, that impact different countries around the world. How, again, how can we work together, but then also how can we work together quickly to react, but then plan against it. So we're not always racing to catch up to whatever's happening at that given point in time, but also take proactive strides to chip away at the baseline of ransomware actors to begin with.
1: Right, so what does the rest of the year look like for you? What are you focusing on and what about 2024? What are some things that you're going to be working on in 2024 and what are you looking forward to?
2: Absolutely. So the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative at CISA, we're really the heart of cyber operations within CISA, but also in terms of that cyber defense civilian capacity that I mentioned. And Operations really means that our days are very, uh, I call it predictably unpredictable. And a lot of us, we just love that fast pace at which things are happening. It takes a certain personality type, but what that means is that it's going to depend on what's happening domestically and globally at any given point in time. And we do need that reaction ability to be able to quickly react and a recent example of this was, and this is something that my team worked on specifically, was we were working with Norway's Computer Emergency Response Teams, and this is uh, CERT, NO for Norway. And similarly, one of our private sector partners in the United States, regarding some vulnerabilities that were being exploited, and within a few days, CISA was able to turn around again. Uh, mentioning like the beauty of our alerts, products, and advisories—something for the public to consume, including owner operators of critical infrastructure—and that's just a very cool example for me. That it points to the speed in which we worked in that example, where we're getting word of this, and maybe three or four days later, then there's advice and guidance and tangible things for the cybersecurity community to do in reaction to news about a vulnerability and it's available for the public to read. That's tremendous and we need to keep up that good work. And I don't foresee that changing anytime soon in terms of these things popping up and us needing to react to them. And I will say though that in terms of things that I'm very excited about beyond these products, alerts and advisories and working with international partners on them is that um, I think some of our coolest and most innovative work right now that's especially gained some traction in 2023 is pre ransomware notifications. And it's now being uh, officially called and it's available more information on CISA.gov, the pre-ransomware notification initiative. And I think it's it's really a game changer for a lot of us and we're not the only country doing it, but really what this is, and it's interesting because I mentioned ransomware earlier and all of us globally trying to, to fight off these, these bad guys, is that sometimes we have insight that is shared with us to be able to prevent it from happening in its tracks. And that is a great thing. And we have some examples of uh, particularly the example of Equifax, uh, a pretty well-known company in the United States. They made it public uh, during the summer of this year how we helped them. We, CISA, helped prevent a ransomware attack Uh, through our early warning tip-off to block the attack from happening. And uh, CISA director Jen Easterly also commented on the importance of this work, specifically using the Equifax example uh, on her Twitter and LinkedIn. And we similarly will, when we get our hands on it, share that information with international partners. And so as a global society with these computer emergency response teams that can move very quickly based on this information, have some wins and make it more expensive for ransomware actors to operate. And this is another way that we are working diligently to help protect our critical infrastructure and other types of victims that ransomware actors will go after, that include companies, schools, hospitals, uh, really everybody that they are targeting these days. And it's something that I also look forward to uh, continuing in the upcoming year is this type of work. Again, how can we innovate? How can we plan ahead? How can we do more than uh, just be reactive? And I think this is a very exciting example of this proactive work that is stopping bad things from happening in the first place. So it's it's hard to quantify, like, how do you talk about something that hasn't happened or it's not always public? But again, ex- hopefully some more exciting things to come on this topic in the near future.
1: I'll definitely be on the lookout for that. Patricia, thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Thank you so much for the wonderful invitation to join you. And I've really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Thank you, Anastasia. That was a great conversation with Patricia Solar. Before we let our listeners go, are there any last takeaways or highlights that you want to leave them with?
1: Yes, so she actually mentioned, and I will quote her, ransomware is a big pain point for all of us, and there's something that's been getting a lot of traction, and that is there three ransomware notifications. Actually, Equifax, which is a consumer credit reporting agency, they publicly released how CISA helped them prevent a big ransomware attack. So very interesting. We talk about that.
0: Yeah, I think that was probably my favorite part of the episode, Justin, that it made you realize just how much of what agencies like CISA do often goes unnoticed because they're doing their job correctly. So this was A really enlightening moment of just how much of an impact Sis is having in the real world. Well, Anastasia, thank you so much. Listeners can tune in to a brand new CyberCast in two weeks. But until then, if you like what you've heard, make sure that you're subscribed, leave a review and a five star rating as well. I'm Alexander Bolova.
1: And I'm Anastasia Obis.
0: Thank you for listening. CyberCast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to GovCIOmedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at GovCIO.com.